Podcast. Welcome to Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Norm. And we have two very special guests here today. Anna and Chloe from the Mod Street Girls. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Chloe. <laughs> I'm Anna. <laughs> we are the Mod Street Girls. AKA MSG. Yes. Oh. MSG. That's Was that on purpose? Back. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when we were thinking of creating the name, well, coming up with a business name, we actually have a couple. Uh, I think the first one we were like, okay, we're going to set on this one was Overheard on Mott Street. And then somehow we thought of Mott Street because we uh, had dinner on Mott Street and they were like, Mott Street Girl stands for MSG. It's just uh, more catchy than Overheard on Mott Street. Mm. So that's why we end up choosing Mott Street Girls. Yeah. And then obviously we want to demystify the fact that MSG is only... Uh, on like in Chinese American food, it's in other foods too, like Doritos. Uh, and, That's true. Yeah. So then, I love like, Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, it's like within our mission as well um, to talk a little bit more about like Chinese American history and spread that uh, to the community. All right. And you are from Boston, and you're from J- Jersey. Yeah. And you guys are here in New York City's Chinatown. You guys got together. You guys told me earlier because you guys were part of the museum. Yeah. in Chinatown mm-hmm. and from then you guys felt um, I guess during the time of COVID with Asian hate when that was starting to erupt and become more transparent that's when your organization began yeah so we kind of had the idea because you know we started volunteering at the museum July of 2019 so we were part of a training program to become tour guides at the museum and it was around like February or March of 2020 when the museum was temporarily shut down and you know me and Anna had some extra time on our hands we we're working from home so we just got together and was thinking like how can we continue to lead tours when the museum was shut down and so that's when we thought of bringing our tour onto the streets and it just worked out like the timing you know and light of anti-Asian hate, we felt that our tours was what our community needed, like more education, more empathy. Yeah, I think it made it more important, right? Because Chinese American history isn't taught in school. So like growing up, neither Chloe and I, like we didn't know about like uh, what Chinese American history was until we went out and seeked out that part of history. And then we want to spread it to, you know, everyone who is interested, you know, like growing up Asian American or Chinese American, uh, some people might not know. It wasn't taught in our education education system. And when you grow up back in the day, it wasn't like you could easily have access to this information without, I guess, doing some real investigation and digging and looking for, uh, you have to purposely want to seek this out. Now, how did you find this information? Was it all like Google or, I mean, because Norm and I, I guess we're kind of aging ourselves. Well, I'm aging ourselves. <laughs> But we had the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> and that was as far as it got in the public library. Yeah, there was no Wikipedia back then. Yeah, so I was actually a tour guide in Boston, right? So in high school, I joined a youth group uh, and they uh, basically were help, you know, Asian American youth. Uh, and one part of the program was to focus on giving tours of Boston's Chinatown. So that's when it initially sparked my interest. Uh, and then, you know, coming, moving to New York, it's like I want to do the same thing. So I visited Museum of Chinese in America and they have volunteer opportunities. And that's where me and Chloe were trained uh, in giving tours and then as well as learning the Chinese American history. And that's how we built on top of it. Right. And also like reading different books uh, and, you know, the this good way Googling mm-hmm. <laughs> is usually usually really good. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how we um, learned about Chinese American history. Yeah, so back in college, I was pretty involved in Manhattan Chinatown, like 
with a lot of volunteering. I was teaching ESL classes, citizenship classes, and also um, involved in like a healthcare clinic here in Chinatown. And so after I graduated from college, I was thinking of, you know, how can I get back into the Chinatown scene? And so I was Googling and I found out the volunteer opportunity at the museum and I just joined the training program. And through that training program, that's how I got like the overview of the Chinese American history from, you know, why the Chinese first came to America to modern day Chinese American struggles in this country. There are a lot of misconceptions about Chinese American history specifically. How do you know which ones are false? I feel like we would need some a little bit of examples. Uh, do you run into a lot of stories where you have to fact check? Um, I think it just depends if we're using like reliable sources. Um, for example, when we we're at the museum, obviously there were like artifacts in front of us. Um, when we're on Instagram, like we usually look at um, you know repeatable sources. Like for example, the Chinese Museum over uh, in I think it's like. CHSA Oh, the one in like Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, so I usually go to the museums for sources. Yeah, and we do look at like some sources. Like uh, I'm, I'm actually a graduate student, so I actually used utilize my school's like uh, resources at the library sometimes. Um, But some books we have to buy, but a lot of like books that we read are sometimes scholarly, like scholar books. So then we would kind of dig in that type of history as well. But a lot of the things that we do are Googling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we focus a lot on the information that we already know from the museum. Yeah. What are some examples of Chinese American history that you think would should be taught in schools? I think the most important is the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, because that explains a lot, right? <laughs> it explains why, you know, Chinese Americans or Chinese people has been here for such a really long time, but it's still considered a minority because of the Chinese, uh, 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act. Can and you it, go into detail on that? Yeah. <laughs> for those that don't know, give us a tour. Yeah, yeah give us a tour. We'll so the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act did three things, right? So it limited women and children coming into uh, United States. It also made like getting citizenship really difficult. Uh, what was the third thing? Interracial marriage was forbidden. And also they set a strict quota of 105 Chinese laborers that could come in here. Oh, wow. And that was for 60 years until yeah. 1943. Yeah. Uh, and when they like re- like, re- like got rid of the Chinese Exclusion Act. But even though they got rid of it, it was kind of like still there because it was like you can still have a quota, quota of 105 people, uh, immigrant workers coming in. It wasn't until like 1965 where the civil rights movement really kind of got rid of all the quotas and everyone kind of come yeah. into the country. Was that the first example of systematic racism towards Asian Americans? Yes, I think 1882 uh, Chinese Exclusion Act was the only law that banned one group of people. Um, and I think that comes from being like, you know, systemic racism. I hear a different story. This is why I asked that question earlier. If, you know, fact checking uh, some stories, because this is a story that I've heard. And it was from one of the activists that was on our show. And, and off the record, he was just telling me, well, the cameras weren't rolling, but we we're having this conversation. And he, he believes that the Chinese Exclusion Act was uh, put in place because there were a lot of Chinese men that were getting women outside of their own culture. And uh, they didn't like that. And that became a huge issue. And it wasn't even the jobs because they were in their own communities working for the most part. Uh, but they didn't like it when they dated outside their communities. And that was really to control that. I think it's definitely multiple factors mm-hmm. because one thing that the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act did was, is 
was that it banned interracial marriage. So I think that definitely played a part. But another thing was that in the 1870s, there was an economic depression. And so the Chinese people were an easy scapegoat to blame all the economic problems onto, right? That they're taking the Americans' jobs, you know, they're willing to work for lower wages, which is like not new at all, right? If you think back to modern times with every new immigrant group that comes in here, right? They're just like an easy finger to point at because they don't speak English, they don't look like us, right? They can't speak up against uh, the majority, right? yeah, against the false narratives put on them. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he's particularly wrong, but I don't also don't think he's particularly right, right? So he's just like narrowing one, you know, focus on one reason. But if you look at the bigger picture, it's like multiple factors, like Chloe said. What, what do you think was the straw that broke the camel's back? Was was it the jobs? Was it the interracial dating? Was it they just we just look different and it was just something that they just couldn't take anymore? Well, I think you have to see who's in control, right? Like, who are the people who are making these laws, right? So like, the people who are making those laws are like, they want to maintain in power, right? So, but if you have a lot of, you know, Chinese people coming over from like Asian countries, then like, if they dominate, they could potentially get rid of them and they become like more powerful, right? So I think one part of it is like, why? If they want to maintain quote unquote whiteness in the US, then it's like, then we should, you know, limit the amount of like Asian people coming to America. That's interesting. But back then, I don't think uh, Chinese specifically, the Chinese population had any voting rights. So even if they had a, a huge, uh, you know, demographic huge number, they wouldn't be able to vote out those politicians. That is true, actually. Yeah. And, but I read, I read that, you know, there, there was a lot of, um, disagreements about you know labor laws and and people like the irish they 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 were they they blamed the chinese for you know taking away jobs and so they pushed politicians to to change laws to make sure that you know these this amount of work you know is catered to them and not you know it's catered to a specific demographic and and you know chastise a, a different demographic yeah so i think at the end it still goes back to like jobs and opportunities um feeling threatened yeah you know i had a few friends that i went to school with and you know we've all heard of the asian bubble where these people live in asian communities and i'm not sure if you're part of that right if, if you were in that bubble right um i did not grow up like that uh norm did not grow up like that but i have a lot of friends that did and they were in this bubble where they thought that they were somehow uh white adjacent where they felt like it's all good you know we People don't hate us. People don't discriminate. I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't exist. They just feel, felt didn't feel that way uh, until the pandemic happened. And it was just so blatant. Like it was just all over social media, all over major news networks. You would see rallies and, and then it would happen to you. Maybe it would hit too close to home, happen to one of your friends. And now that bubble has burst, right? This, this the, the illusion of... of um, you being safe and not being discriminated against is is broken. So they're in a moment where they're going, all right, how do I get more information about this? What is going on? Right. And I have a few friends was in total denial until it happened um, to, I think, his cousin, where he was uh, a victim out in um, the West Coast. Right. And that pushed them over the edge have another friend that was like, here, I told you so. You see what's going on? I told you so. It has never stopped. And some people feel like the discrimination or the systematic racism is always there, and it comes from all sides. Is history 
repeating herself or has history really never changed? Yeah, I definitely do think that, you know, we have been facing discrimination since, you know, the earliest days when we came to America. But I feel like due to the pandemic, people have become more emboldened to act on, you know, these like prejudice and this, you know, and these uh, stereotypes of Chinese Americans because of, you know, what our politicians have been saying, like the resentment they've been feeling, you know, cooped up at home or losing their jobs. So and I do kind of relate to what you're saying, the Asian bubble, because growing up in New Jersey, I did grow up in predominantly like white and East Asian kind of neighborhood. And I was very shocked because I had never like heard the racial slur before or like felt threatened for my life yeah. until mm. like I think it was May of 2020 when I was just walking on the streets of New York and someone like called me the racial slur and was like following me. And I felt like <gasps> really scared at that moment. It never happened to me. And wow. yeah, a similar incident happened again, like in the summer of 2020. So that was like the first time you know, that I felt like threatened for my life. And I've been like in America for like over 20 years. And that's like the first time it's happened. Wow. So that's exactly what I was talking about. I had yeah. a friend that experienced that and he reached out to me. It's like, well, man, I don't know what to do. You know, he, I just didn't buy in. But until it happened, then now I know it's true. Like he, he was in total denial for a long time. And until it happened too close to home and the whole bubble burst, he really didn't know how to digest that and then i have another and it just i just gave me an interesting perspective seeing from the because he wasn't wrong that was his reality meanwhile the other one has faced it his entire life he's just been around it it's just been so he didn't grow up in that bubble he grew up outside of it and he didn't grow up in the asian community so he was actually like the token asian guy in there Mm. so he he was burned and anyone i guess asians listening to this or any minority or even a white person that grew up and and that was a token white guy anywhere you would feel it would feel kind of awkward being the only one there um and if you and depending on the neighborhood you grew up in it, it could be really rough for some of these people and to them they feel like nothing's nothing has changed and to this person it's on the other hand like like you was just oh my gosh, like, this is what it's like out here. You know, when I was little, they, they told me this story of, uh, when I was in school, they said that this princess, she lived a beautiful life in a castle. And, and it was just great. Everybody was happy. There was always an abundance of everything. Until the day that she stepped her foot outside the castle. And she saw there was poor people, beggars, people that were hungry, starving, children, looking for scraps on the food. And she couldn't live with herself and and uh you know more story she stopped living in a castle she wanted to go out into the world and help but i just find it fascinating and and i do ask myself that question has has it changed and if it hasn't will it ever change and you're you you guys are actually on the street yeah you know, your boots on the ground you're, you're yeah. talking to people who are visit either visiting or they're from the neighborhood or they just want to learn about um, chinese history and culture and, you know, and you have people who are not part of the tour, you know, have you experienced anything like, you know? Yeah, I was just going to point out there, we did experience that one time. You remember, Chloe, uh, we were giving a tour um, and one homeless person walked up to us and said, like, that's not right. And that part of history was about, like, Chinese Americans participating in uh, World War Two. And he claimed that, like, it's not about Chinese Americans. It's about, you know, the Germans um in the u.s and i'm like well chinese americans did participate in the war and helped out the u.s so i think there was a little bit of like um i don't know it may be part of like i mean like the asian hate crime so we all obviously feel a little scared and we try to disassociate from that situation as much as possible 
But I think in terms of like uh, actually all the hate that's been happening, um, I think the pandemic just like exponentially increased uh, and like blatantly put basically put the elephant in front of your face. Like this has been happening. Uh, you might not notice it and it might be very discreet, right? Discreet racism is the thing where like in the workplace, like, oh, you might be overlooked, right? If you're Asian sure. or if you're of like a minority, you just don't notice it. Um, but the violence, you can see it. Mm-hmm. And that's like a fact, right? Uh, and But there are still... Um, things that are happening that you can't see that it is systemic racism. It has to be fixed through, you know, the system. It sounds like nothing has really changed except that it's more passive in a lot of ways until the pandemic happened. Now, because of the, of the surge in violence uh, against women, children, or elderly, um, it's, it's become something that's undeniable. Is that, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I can't predict the future, but I'm like hoping I'm up, op, op, sorry, I can't speak today. Uh, so like, I just think that it's going to get better and I hope, I'm hoping to get better uh, from here. How does it get better? Well, I mean, as we've seen, like during the pandemic, unfortunately, the government wasn't helping Chinatown or community, right? A lot of the small businesses weren't qualified for federal aid like the PPP loan, but the silver lining of the story is that it had prompted a lot of second, third generation Chinese Americans to go back to their community, right, and actually make a change. For example, like the grassroots initiatives like Welcome to Chinatown or Send Chinatown Love, we see these young Asian Americans coming back to their community and using their professional skill sets, right, to helping um, these small business out. So I think that's like, you know, a foot in the right direction because for us Chinese Americans, like Chinatown is where a lot of us find our identity, right? And if we lose Chinatown, then what, how is our next generation going to find their identity in America, right? So I think that is already a good step forward. And yourselves, you know, a young <laughs> up-and-coming organization like yourselves, you know, also sharing the, the history with people who might not even know that this history exists. Yeah, and know. I think it's important, at least for me, it was like very insightful because I never knew like how my family came to America. So, like, I would ask my dad, like, okay, so, like, how did we exactly get here? And it was, like, very fascinating to know that my great-grandpa actually came here and then went back to China. And he was just, like, it was too tough. And then eventually my grandpa's sister's husband <laughs> was a paper son. <laughs> it took me oh, a while. wow. Yeah, and then, like, eventually through relationships, we all ended up in America. So it was... It was so interesting to see, like, oh, that's how we got here. Um, and obviously, if I didn't ask, if I didn't know history, I would have no idea what Paper Sun was. And basically, Paper Sun is um, because of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Uh, the, and there was a, a fire that happened in San Francisco that like destroyed all the documentation. So the Chinese were smart. I was like, I'm gonna claim all these people as my son. There's son on paper, and they're gonna pay me. And then through relationships, they can get over to America and have like a new opportunity. No, I have a very similar story, um, and it's it's not as interesting as the Paper Sun story. But um, uh, I was asking my 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 parents, and they're very closed off about telling the history of how, you know, it's sort of like a, you know, a history that I don't want to talk about it. You know, and, you have to uh, ask. I, yeah, I have to ask. <laughs> I have to like kind of poke. You know, the poking. You know, sleeping bear. But um, it, it so happened we would go to a cemetery and. Uh, we would go and, and buy sun, which is basically um, oh, yes, sweeping yes. the tomb and, yeah. and, 
And you know, it's to me, it's like when I was growing up, it's like a picnic because we just bring food to the cemetery, (laughs) and we're with family. I mean, and we're eating and uh, picnic at the grave. Also, you know, yeah, also paying respects to our ancestors. Yeah. So we we go to this tomb, and it had the name Dan Lee on the tomb. My last name is Lamb, so I'm like, who's Dan Lee? You know. But apparently, um, you know, he's my great grandfather, and he came in in the 1900s, and. Apparently, he, you know, the immigration officer wrote the wrong name, mm-hmm. and he became a Lee. But I'm a Lee, <laughs> you know. But it's so interesting. Like he came over, he gave the opportunity for my grandfather to come over, and you know, even the history of how they they survived China back in the day. Like my grandfather escaped China uh, during the Cultural Revolution because he was a teacher. He went to Hong Kong mm-hmm. and brought you know my entire family to Hong Kong. And my grandma had this whole like journey trying to with with a baby traveling to Hong Kong from China. It, it was, and she had to pretend to 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 you know say like I have a baby and my kids are are are, are dead. So the soldiers would let her go into Hong Kong. Oh, so wow. so you know the 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 journey that they had. I I didn't even know the story until I asked my my relatives. So it's it's sort sort of like you have all these this history. And these secrets, but you know, if you, there's they're so rich, you know, and then you know, you just get you you just don't know, and people just don't know outside of our you know families, people don't know, and yeah. it's amazing that you get to, a chance to share that, you know, with with people who are not part of the community. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think what really like you know pushed me to figure out like my my history or my parents' history or like you know my ancestors' history was because I was speaking to a friend and she. Like for some reason, know all of her history. <laughs> um, I think she was her her mother actually um, for a book like dropped out all the history, and I was just like, you know, I don't know any of my family's history. I mean, I know Chinese American history, but like how how do we fit into that picture, right? And they would tell me that's a great question. Yeah, and they would tell me like, oh, the railroad, and I'm like, okay, but like what happened during the railroad? It's like it's a significant part of history. So like. My parents know, but they don't know exactly like the entire story. And for me, it's like going out and figuring that and putting that together. And like for me, so I can tell, you know, my offsprings and like obviously everyone who are interested to know, um, like my brother who doesn't know. (laughs) Um, So it's just like keeping track of like uh, how things happened, um, why we came here, when we came here, um, and all the difficulties that my grandparents and my parents have to go through. Yeah, it's incredible when you hear these stories, like Norm just shared, you just shared, and I mean, all everyone's stories of how their family came to America is it's quite daunting, and 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 I just can't imagine just going through that. I mean, when I think I have it hard, I just think about my parents and and uh, how, how, what they had to do, and I'm going, okay, if they can be that resilient, and I came from them. There, I, I have a lot more that I'm not giving myself credit for that I can probably push. There's, this is probably my 40% and I'm complaining about it. I, you know, my parents are that resilient and, and, and your parents and your parents and our grandparents. And, you know, we have a lot that we can accomplish if they can do that. We, we certainly can. I think going back to the whole Asian discrimination, systematic racism, will it change? Will it get better? I think if we can continue to have conversations, which we are, I think if we can continue to make our voices heard, 
educate our um, communities, not even just Asian communities, everyone, to, so that they could know the facts. Because, because then I have this whole other segment of my friends or colleagues who aren't Asian, and a lot of them just have this surface Asian knowledge because it's not taught in school, and it's not doesn't make them evil, it doesn't make them bad guys. It's just what they were taught, and so they just see what they learn on TV and what they hear in schools, right? And they see in school on. I guess on mainstream media, what do you see? Nerds. Yeah, I was going to bring up the model so, minority myth, right? right? Because submissive. Um, you're very rich, mm-hmm. wealthy, and I could tell you that's not that doesn't surmise uh, the majority of us. Yes. Yeah, so, like, I actually I want to bring up the model minority myth because during like you know uh, the only a year ago, which is kind of crazy, and when all the attacks were on like Asian people. Um, I was feeling like really sad and like unhappy right but then like I had a lot of Asian friends that reached out to me but like I realized a lot of non-Asian friends did not reach out to me and I think partly it's because they think that we would be okay and I think that stemmed from the model minority myth right Uh, and or maybe it's just because they don't know how to approach the situation or it's like their first time seeing or witnessing something like that. And like you mentioned earlier, like this is not taught in school, like Chinese American history is taught in school, not taught in school. So they might not know how to react to it as well. Yeah. But if you're a human being, you know, at least reach out. <laughs> yeah. I don't want really to see it as a uh, race thing. You yeah. know, it's just humanity. Our non-Asian friends that reached out to us. I mean, I was super, um, I don't even know what to say about that because it was unexpected. I, don't expect anything from anyone and at that point where most people are like they not i shouldn't say most people but a lot of people was either just brushed it under the rug right it was just an inconvenient truth for them and the other people was they didn't think it was that serious yet i mean i'm talking about the beginnings of it right because when their bubble was beginning to burst when their reality was shaken and thinking like no it's really not that bad Come on, you guys got it good. Things like that. And just the overly optimistic view about it instead of looking at it for what it truly is. And then to have our friends reach out to us early on when it was happening, I, I thought that was, it really hit, it really, it was touching. And when it kept happening though, and then when it became undeniable, when, when it was just everywhere, then they said, hey, you know what? It got to the point where if I was going out, if they were like, hey, Will, um, are you going out with, with the, so-and-so's birthday? Hey, be careful, okay? As number one, you're probably going to be the Asian guy there, only Asian guy there. Just, just you know, be careful. And then I was just like, yeah, that's, wow, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but it, we shouldn't feel like that. We shouldn't, you shouldn't have to give a tour and have someone shouting over you and trying to change a fact from his opinion, right? You shouldn't have someone follow you where you feel unsafe because they don't like the way you look, or maybe they do like the way you look, and, and they just can't control themselves, right? And, and you see an Asian person, an Asian woman for that fact, and, and now you're, being, you're, you're at risk of being assaulted, right? Because you're certainly being verbally assaulted. Now, you know... I, I just don't feel like I should be going somewhere and just looking at the color of my skin on my physical features and, and go, oh, watch out, Will. You're the only one that's going to look like that there, so be careful. Like, what? 
Well, I mean, just hearing that sentence just sounds insane to me. But because the world is the way it is, it's not that insane, is it? I mean, we grew up in in a rough. I mean, like I, you know, it wasn't all rainbows and sunshines. We we grew up in a in a pretty diverse, but you know, kind of rough neighborhood. So it wasn't. I wasn't surprised growing up or, or having to deal oh, with it. I know you that, know, but I, being in this modern age and and for others. You know, it, it shouldn't still be happening. We're not even getting the help we need. We get, look, I'm gonna share a story what Don told me right before when, when we we're coming up here. Don's, someone threw this, a rock. And if you guys are looking at it, it it's a rock, is, it, it, this is like a small boulder, right? You know, it's, it's, it's not a pebble. It's not a pebble. <laughs> it, it's, it's it like, hurts. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's big enough to break glass. So it's like it the size of my foot, and I'm a size 13, right? So it's literally like that. So I guess that's the best way I can put it. And he was standing by the window, and these kids went and I hope Don doesn't mind me sharing the story, but these kids chucked his rock at the window, and he was unaware of it until he was startled with the sound. Mm-hmm. And if there wasn't a plexiglass there behind the window to make it shatterproof, then it would have struck him easily. It would have, it would have went right through the window and struck him in the head and. You know, I don't even want to think what's what would have happened. Oh, there we go. We got the the siren every podcast. <laughs> Can I go get yeah. my jacket? It, it would have struck them. So what he did, he called the he called the cops. He called the police. And when he went to go file a report, they told him at, at the local precinct, they told him to hang up and dial 911. I mean, they told him, go back and dial 911. Mm. And then when the detective showed up or whoever he told me that they told him like, and unless you have footage, uh, we can't help you. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's just kids being kids. Mm. And this is reminiscent. This is reminiscent of what happened to the 89 year old grandma that was burned. Mm, I hear I hear people saying it's just kids being kids. Right. Because I believe it was a 13-year-old kid, mm. I think they said, that did this. And they, and when they did have local footage from a, uh, one of the houses, these kids running, and you can see it. It's just it's three kids. And they just, you know, and they could have killed them. If that rock, if that plexiglass wasn't there, it could have killed them. It could have seriously injured them. You know, it, I mean, and who are you supposed to go to if if we actually try to document these cases and report it and it gets downplayed and saying it's just kids being kids if our elderly gets attacked and and someone's tried to set her on fire and then we use that same excuse it's just kids being kids where do we go from here then what what are we supposed to do who who are we supposed to are we supposed to take the law into our own hands because now that's a whole different conversation and that's not something any of us wants to do. And we, we don't want to do that, right? Nobody wants to go back and assault kids, mm-hmm. right? Nobody, you know, it doesn't even, even make sense. I mean, they're kids. They don't know. But something needs to be done, right? Something needs to, the, the threat of consequences needs to be there by law, by law. Whether it's a police officer who's regulating or some, something needs to be, some action needs to take place in order to, for people in the community to feel safe. Yeah, I think a lot of us last year were feeling very helpless. Like I remember when I told my parents about the incident, 
like their advice for me was wear a cap, like wear a mask so they can't tell you're Asian. And I'm like, that's the best we can do is just, you know. Do you remember <laughs> I saw on, on when the Asian hate started first, there were some people that made T-shirts like, I'm not Chinese, I'm this other Asian. Oh, did you oh did you remember that? Yeah, they were they were teach people were into and I'm like I, I that's not how racism works. <laughs> <laughs> that's not they don't care. They don't care. Yeah, yeah, yes, no, yeah. no, no one is one. going to ask you, hey, you Chinese or you Vietnamese? What are you Vietnamese Thai? Oh, I'm good with you. Are you Chinese? Oh, yeah, you know they're they're not. That's not how it works. Yeah. As soon as they see you, like it's if they, you know, they're racist. They're not going to feel good about it. I think it goes back to like what we all have talked about this entire time, right? It, it is systemic racism. Like yeah. I think it has a lot of it has to be changed through like our systems because our system didn't take oh, into the fact. Sorry. <laughs> you didn't judge it. Yeah, for for I got this alfalfa thing going. Sorry for those of you guys. You know, what? We might not cut that out. <laughs> But uh, I guess it, for those of you guys watching, for those of you watching the podcast, I guess my hair was kind of sticking up and Norm just kind of whispered, but I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying it goes back to like having to change the system. I think um, okay. obviously the law makes a big impact, right? Like we have more representation. For sure. Um, and, you know, in like, you know, creating the laws, I think that uh, really makes a big difference. I think creating the law is one thing. I think enforcing it's another thing, right? I just think that if a crime happens, that we against the Asian community, we're not asking for special treatment. We're just asking that you give it the right energy, right? The right attention that it deserves instead of saying, hey, because I, I can tell you a lot of people, elderly especially, that get attacked or become victims, and we all know one, by the way, you know, they, they say, what's the point? It happened already. We're just going to, oh, I don't want to deal with all of this. I mean, they're not going to do anything anyway. That's really, that's the most part of what I hear. And then on the other side, they'll just go, hey, you guys don't report it. So how can we help you? You know, it like, ties back to our culture, yeah. right? Like keeping our heads down and like, you know, as Asians, we feel like we don't truly like belong here. So we don't want to speak out and use our rights i so. think it's how they survived yeah especially our, our like grandparents and our parents it's like how they survived when they were here like they kept their heads down they, yeah, like, i don't think that working. works anymore it doesn't it's, a, it's a different time exactly. i understand i understand back then because yeah. you had mobs of people that would actually you know do some really real damage like there were massacres you know in chinatown it's like right. total chinatown was destroyed because of of racism um back then i get it okay Put your head down, you're gonna survive. I get that, but nowadays for, we're it's, Asian, like, it's we're, more we're, like if you don't speak up, you'll get punished. Yeah, it's exactly. We're Americans now. Yeah, like, uh, the offspring of those people who came were Americans. Yeah, like know? us. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I, I think it empowers people when you actually know your history that you yes. are actually part of America. That's what I think. Chloe and I were we are specializing, right? Like we aren't going to be lawmakers, but we tell stories. That's what we do best, right? And we want to educate people on Chinese American history, so you know, right? And I think we have feedback from some of like the audience that were, who who went on our tour. It's just like, wow, I did not know any of this, right? I can draw parallels to my history. 
So I find that very fascinating because like we want to build empathy with each other. We want you to understand our part, our history, right? And we want to understand your history too. So I think that's very important. And I think a lot of people do have an appreciation for it. What, what are some stories that some of the people on your tours find really interesting? Well, people usually like the Bachelor Society part <laughs> of the tour. Um, well, the Bachelor Society? Yeah. Yes. So back in the day, because of the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, women and children could come in here. So at one point, you know, Chinatowns were these Bachelor Societies where there are actually like 200 men to one woman. So just like telling them like how hard, you know, must dating be back then, right? So that's why there are actually a lot of brothels and opium dens back in the day. In People favor find- of the women. <laughs> <laughs> so there were 200 men. To one woman. To, to every one woman wo- there. One woman, yeah. 200 Asian men? Like yeah. Chinese men to, to one, one woman? One Asian woman, yeah, in Chinatown. Did, did any of that one-child policy have anything to do with it back in China? No, I think it had to do with the 1882 Chinese exclusion. Yeah, because the women children weren't allowed to come in here because they can't help build the railroads, right, work in the factory. So only the the Chinese men were allowed to come in here and even then it was pretty small amounts like only 105 people per year that could come in here but it was just like fascinating because we would show like a picture of what it looked like back in the day in Chinatown it was like all men with like top hats and very different than yeah nowadays. and this might even go way back in series like well why did the Chinese people come to America in the first place right it's because like there were a lot of poverty in China so like America was a young country back then. So then they were like, okay, let's go to America to find opportunity, right? The railroad, the gold rush uh, in the West Coast, but they had no intention of staying anyways. So they were gonna go back home after you know they became wealthy. But then like some of them did not. So then they find jobs in the city, right? And then uh, they didn't decide to like have the entire family come over. So that's another reason why there's not a lot of women. Did they initially migrate first Moreover to California, yes, on the West Coast, West Coast, All right? Because that makes a lot of sense. Shorter distance to travel, yeah, shorter mm-hmm. distance to travel. And well, when I went, when I went out to California, and I started making, I guess, more friends, um, north and south, up and down there. They they were all like, and I met the parents, some of them, and they're just all perfect English. Everything. I was like, how are all you guys? <laughs> yes, like, like fourth generation. Like, like yeah, I was. No, it was, let me tell you how awesome it yes. was to be able to speak to them. Yes, you know, like communicate with them because most of them, like, my, my, I'll admit, my Chinese is not the best, <laughs> and it's it's very broken. It's very uh, what they call juxing, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah. I mean, I can get by a little bit as if we go to a restaurant, if you know the courtesy stuff when I meet parents. But to get into a deep conversation or when they ask me stuff, I get embarrassed because I'm like, oh man, like my vocabulary is not strong, <laughs> and. When I went out there, all of them, every single one of them spoke English. And I just, I was blown away. And then when I asked them, I was like, how many? Thought, oh, yeah, well, like, I'm seventh generation here. <laughs> I was like, geez. Because back in New York, right, all of our friends, like, we're the first ones. Yeah. We're the first yeah. American-born uh, yeah. kids. So it's just, they're, they're way ahead of us there. It is. It is quite fascinating. So my brother is in San Francisco, right? He would tell me like, oh my God, like all the grandmas and grandpas speaks English, right? We have like Asian people working at Costco. And I was like, okay, that's really cool. <laughs> my favorite was when I watched this documentary about Southern Chinese and hearing the Southern Chinese grandma speak with the Southern oh, accent. I saw <laughs> that. Was it, was it, was it Mississippi? Yeah, I think it might be Mississippi. Yeah, yeah but it was so fascinating. It is a <laughs> Great. They, was it with the one with the Chinese food? The cooking, they, one, the yeah. cooking one. Part. What of was the story I, 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 about the about the family? Oh, I think it was just like there's Chinese cooking in the South, right? Like, yeah, because like, they were talking about like different cooking, different types of Chinese food, like in LA and mm-hmm. New York and mm-hmm. the South, and how it's different. 
I mean, just hearing her speak was just incredible. <laughs> it just blew my mind. It just, it was, and, and her, because she has the Southern charm. Mm. When, when she was saying she has it, this grandma, she just, <laughs> you just instantly fell in love with her. Mm. Yeah, she was great. It's like a grandma that, uh, that welcomes everyone into her home. Like just an air of authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just very strong. But, but when she spoke, it was like, hey, y'all. <laughs> don't y'all call me around. Come right yeah. in. Yeah. I was just like, what? I was like, what is this? And it was just all this. She had this Southern charm. It was just, mm. it was, and, but then she's Asian and she had this Asian thing going for her too. And it was just like, oh my gosh, can, can she, can she be more adorable? It was, it was just, yeah. There, there needs to be a Pixar anim- animated movie. I love that. That'd be really cute. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like what the media shows, what they portray, it, and oh, you know, just the content that's out there. It, it, it's just couldn't be further from reality. You know, at times I think it's outdated. It doesn't work anymore. And I gotta tell you, I know a lot of Chinese people. And I gotta tell you, a lot of them don't know karate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of them aren't nerds. I'll just say They're that. No kung fu, right? Keanu or or kung fu. Like, I just, do you know a lot of like the majority of the Asian people that you guys know? Do they do they know karate, kung fu, or nerds? Not the majority, but I do know a good I like fifty percent. Oh, really? Because oh, okay, for you. no, because geez, but because I sought I sought them out. Like I okay. when I was growing up, I sought after the kung fu masters in Chinatown. Oh so, wow, it's freaking weird because you know you go into these like. On Canal Street, goes these garment factories back in like, go through a hallway and then you go up these staircases. It's it's, it's like that. Some of the places <laughs> feel like it's sketchy when you're walking there. I remember <laughs> one of my uh, friends I used to hoop with and he was like, Will, um, <clears throat> you know, why don't you come through? You'll be great at like this uh, karate club, whatever they called it, right? He was like, oh, dude, it's like a... Uh, I'm not gonna say which school, but <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a it's like a, a dojo. And I was young; I was maybe like 13, and I was like, "Yeah, heck yeah, yeah, I get to kick some butt," and, and you know. Um, then I I went in, I went in the building. First of all, the building looked decrepit, right, in New York City, and then we did like. 80 what felt like 80,000 stairs right <laughs> just like you guys did today <laughs> yeah I was like earlier I was like that's a lot of stairs like Chloe <laughs> yeah. and then we went to this completely dark hallway where the light was flickering and then we had to um, oh yeah before we even did that we had to go through this alleyway to get to that so it was weird and I was like hey um, are, are you gonna do something weird like yo this is real <laughs> sketch man and by the time we got up there, then we were, we were able to do all this uh, Kung Fu stuff. I was like, I'm not coming back here, man. <laughs> Too sketchy for It's real sketchy. It's really weird. And you, you go into the Kung Fu studio, it's, it's actually a really nice studio. A what? You go into the studio, it's a really nice studio? No, no. It's in the back alley. It looked like... It's in yeah, the back yeah, alley. It's like a back alley, like with potted plants, and like it was just oh. weird, man. I was like, I'm not coming back here. <laughs> like a courtyard, here. okay. Yeah, yeah, like a little, okay. like a little makeshift kind of thing, and... Uh, I don't know. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. I was like, you know, I'd rather be on a basketball court. Well, you, you walked all over Chinatown because of the tours and everything. Was there anything that you discovered here that was like, oh, my God, this, this, this is so weird. This is like right out of history or it doesn't, you know, I didn't know this, this was here before. You know, this is not New York, New York City that I know. Anything like that? I didn't learn this in the museum, so maybe I fast check. I have to fast check out some of this. <laughs> is this from local? Okay, okay so we're in a podcast. No, that's great. No, because yeah. sometimes, sometimes I feel like museum, like the the 
the the the, the research history mm-hmm. you know it's it's been abridged it's been it's been uh told and it's been like you know edited yeah but when you hear stories from the locals this is like the real <laughs> the real shit you know this right. is the real history yeah so like i have a friend uh he grew up in chinatown i mean like in jersey i guess like <laughs> you know grew up in chinatown about, yeah. jersey <laughs> <laughs> well he's living in Chinatown right now and then like he told me a little bit of like the gangs uh, in Chinatown because I actually find that part quite fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if you know a little bit of history in Manhattan, Chinatown, the bloody angle, right where Namwa is, right there used to be two like prominent gangs that are like fighting against each other. So I asked him this question. I was like, "What about now? Like, what about recently?" And he showed me some like hidden spots of like, "Oh, this was like." Um, the more like recent gangs, right? Well, clearly it's not happening anymore. At least that's what not, I'm not at that level. Yeah, not at that level. But like, it was just so in your face back then. <laughs> You're like, I have like 30, yeah. 40, 50 kids, right? Well, when I walk by with my mom, mm. I would see like a bunch of like kids at the corner of a park and you kind of get the hint yeah. of what it was about. So, yeah, yeah, but then like uh, he, so I was walking with him and he moved the trash can. He was like, this was where the street that they dominated it has the initial of the gang name. I was like, what? Like mm-hmm. on the bottom of a trash can? <laughs> wait, wait, bottom of the trash can? Like yeah. like somebody marked it up yeah. or scratched it? I've never heard yeah. of that. Interesting. That's interesting. No, to get but out. it's on the so, ground and it's still weird. there. Where? Is it covert? Or you have to actually or, look for it? Was this? Well, okay, there were two, right? One yeah. is on Doris Street. You just have to okay. go look. And then the other one is <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, I think it was on Elizabeth uh yeah, on Elizabeth Street, but you have to move the trash can. So. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure it out. It's right underneath the trash can. So yeah. Weird. So it's on the sidewalk. Like, yeah, it's on the oh, sidewalk, okay. right? At first, I was like, what are you doing? You're like a, the Da Vinci Code, like you got to go here That's and get cool. another clue. It's pointing to the Confucius statue. Like, you gotta exactly. Go like, you know, like, they should make a movie out of that too, like uh, the Da Vinci Code Asian, in Chinatown. Asian Da Vinci yeah. Code. Because there's so many like monuments around, you know. So, well, so what did that signify? Like, well, was it, it was like that was the, yeah, that was their territory, right? And then like he told, then I went back and I did my research, uh-huh. uh, and I was like, okay, then like what specifically about that gang? Why were why were they there? And then actually related to like you know how um, in Manhattan Chinatown there's a lot of like fake luxury bags. Yes. So it's that gang initially dominated that area. So and Canal Street, Canal Street, yes, right. and um, they got really big, and they're actually not Chinese gangs. It's Vietnamese gang. It's Vietnamese. Yes, BTK. So oh. go this find back, the this BTK. back in the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties. Yeah, it was like the early like nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, before like the the head of the gang he got arrested, and then was it David Chang or something like that? Uh, I don't his remember his name, but I remember it was in Vietnam. So I hear. <laughs> So since we're doing some Chinatown obviously fact, have to fact check all of this, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, go go ahead, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So eventually he got caught, but he was causing a lot of disruption with the Chinese tongs or the Chinese gangs that were around the area back then. David um, Tai, sorry, David oh, Tai. Yes, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't exactly remember how he got caught, but he was trying to like uh, make connections with the Italian mafia and. Then create like a bigger gang but obviously he got caught but then obvious uh all the luxury like the fake luxury bags or i mean that business is still going on so btk started that business of oh so that they they made canal street i guess notoriously known for that yes that's fascinating fact check 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, so here's where I yeah I heard that they were having. You said they were had some conflict with the uh, the Chinese tongs. The yes. Chinese tongs. I think initially, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Benny Ong, when he was the Godfather of Chinatown, I believe he hired them as a muscle to handle people that needed to be handled, mm-hmm. the Vietnamese gangs, right? And at a certain point, they just had a disagreement. And where he didn't show up to the meeting at all. Yes, yes. And 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 uh, where David and his group didn't show up to the meeting. And I think who or do I have that reversed? So yes, David or the the head of the Vietnamese, and he didn't show up to the meeting. And right. I don't exactly know why um, he didn't show up to the meeting. But it was like a very important meeting to like mend the relationships between the Chinese gangs and the Vietnamese gangs. Because there was some conflict, right? Yeah. Right. And so that, I guess that was a sign for all-out war. Yes, but I don't think it went that far because obviously he got caught and then like that was the end of it. But all that business is still going. So flourishing. Yeah, I, I guess he's he found a niche in the market. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he is, in jail though, right? He is in jail, but he's still alive. But it's kind of crazy to think about it now because then like, I mean, it kind of happened, you know, during kind of recent, I would say, in the, like the last like 30 years. Wow. Well, yeah, I heard. 30, 40, yes. I heard that they were pretty ruthless. Yes, because they so they are called "Born to Kill" mm-hmm. because of like what happened uh, in the Vietnam Vietnam War, right? They witnessed a lot of like you know killing and murders. Didn't of, they wear that in their helmets? Yes. The it was in the I think it was the American soldiers. The American they, soldiers. Yeah, they I mean. wore it. It was like "Born to Kill," so they took that and you know they're very ruthless. Apparently, whoever they see or on their tor- territory, they shoot or kill. Asian gangs in general back then were quite ruthless. There was something to definitely um, be concerned with, uh, or any gang for that matter. If you know if people are willing to uh, solve problems through violence, I mean, I think. Living in a neighborhood like that, it's it's crazy. And how much Chinatown has changed, though, from when I used to walk around here. It's it's at, at least the face of it. It's it's uh it's incredible. And, and I'm not just talking about the gangs, but I'm just talking about the businesses. I mean, I'm seeing more and more mainstream American businesses in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are you know I'm sure you guys see it during your tour tours. Um, well, I guess during now COVID, everything's like, you, I do see a lot of uh, commercial spaces that are mm. for lease and gated up. But prior to that, I mean, still, I mean, there were so many, I guess, you know, McDonald's. Well, McDonald's was great. <laughs> that McDonald's on Canal Street's right. been here since forever. Right. I think, <laughs> so I think the story behind it, I think the person that, that uh, bought the franchise or whatever, I think McDonald's went and bought it back. Oh. They, they were getting so much business. They went and that's what I heard. I'm not, again, I need to fact check. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, but I'm seeing like Subway and then Dunkin' Donuts. It was just like they saw one that was just, just amazing and it worked. They started bringing Popeyes. Popeyes is a great addition because, you know. <laughs> I think I mean, Chinese people love Popeyes. They love fried chicken. They love, you know, they say like they say like some some. I don't think Chinese people get enough credit for how much we like fried chicken. I don't know any like Chinese person that's not a vegetarian. Like the ones that actually eat meat, they all they're all into fried chicken. Like, I mean, even I, I the love Chinese chicken, takeout joints, yeah. they had fried chicken wings. Fried chicken. That was my. That was my. That's that's still my go-to to this day. I get my four chicken wings with fried rice. <laughs> and when I was a kid, it was like the chicken wings with French fries for three dollars, two fifty. 
wow. at the store. I mean, that was my go-to. You guys talking about preserving Chinatown. It's it's changing. Where do you think Chinatown's headed in the next 10 years? I mean, I do think that the change has to do with the changing demographics as well because Chinatown is an aging you know, community, right? So a lot of the elderly that live here know they're like 80s, 90s. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. There are like new businesses coming in um, because maybe they'll attract like out of town folks, right? And maybe because they're in Chinatown for one thing, right? For like the new Instagrammable spot, they'll visit the other spots in the neighborhood, right? The mom and pop businesses. So I don't think it's necessarily bad. It's kind of like how are these businesses like fitting into the community, right? Are they like giving back mm-hmm. as well? And I think this is so specific to like Manhattan's Chinatown because I've noticed with Boston Chinatown, it's like a whole different problem, right? There, what's, what's it there? I don't think there are particularly a lot of like franchises coming into Boston Chinatown. It's more about like real estate, like building up like condos, residential, residential oh. luxury building that takes over so a Chinatown. So in Boston Chinatown, the problem there is that they're changing a lot of the commercial lands to residential yeah. uses yes well that's a big problem yeah that's a big problem it's always been, it's been the problem since like 1960 like they cut through, they build a highway that cut through chinatown so already made chinatown smaller that's violation why why are they always <laughs> violating chinatowns like that but they're still trying to build a mega jail here yeah i think like for what chloe said earlier right it's just like mixing the a blend of the two because you can't always stay like the more traditional right like then you have to attract more people coming coming in and i think that we should probably touch the uh, upon the fact that like Chinatown has always been a tourist destination, so like a lot of tourists come here, you know, for for the inst- Instagramable spots. Um, but then realizing that there are people who live in Chinatown who you know rely on the community for the day to day lives, right? So like the mom and pop shops have to stay too. But then like to bring tourists in, we have to find some kind of like balance. Yeah, I think it's hard too, because for a lot of these old mom pop shops, they might not have a successor in the same family, right? So a lot of times they have to sell it to another family, right? Because the kids who went to college and now have corporate jobs don't want to take over and be stuck in Chinatown, right? That's not achieving the American dream. I think that's also hard as well. And it's tough to run your own business. You it know, is. You, you may not want to be a business owner because you see, like I know I didn't, when I watched my dad run his restaurant, and he was like, son, one day, you know, <laughs> you can do this too. You want, I was looking at him. I was like, no, I don't I don't want to definitely don't want to do this. And then he goes, good son. Good. Well, you <laughs> know. Trying to scare you away. From <laughs> yeah, he did. He goes, you know, he goes, you know, if, he's like, if you want to do it with me now, cool. But I think, um, you know, my dad has a funny way of making me realize things uh, so that I get the full experience. Mm. And make me make my own decision instead of just blindly going, yeah, I want to be just like that. I want to <laughs> yippee ki dad. You know, like just this this youthful uh, exuberance. And, and um, you know, it, it could be dangerous when you're very naive, right, or, or, or inexperienced about things or when you just have a very innocent outlook. And, um, you know, my dad showed me how it really was. And I'm, I'm 12, 13 years old. And, you know, I'm doing my homework at his restaurant and, and um, trying to help out where I can. And I just see how, what he's going through. And he's sweating, like, I mean, his shirt is drenched. He's running back and forth in the kitchen. And I stayed with him that whole summer. And, uh, I mean, the guy woke up at 5.30 in the morning, right? Get, get everything ready, uh, get dressed, go out there, get breakfast, come back to get me. Like, hey, come on, I'm, I'm heading over to the restaurant. Drive me over. We'll go to the restaurant. I see him cleaning, preparing all the food, getting everything laid out. 
go through the whole day. His restaurant closes at 10, Whoa. 10 p.m. after the restaurant closes. Right? And keep in mind, it's delivery and it's also dining in, right? And, and it was a rather larger restaurant. So after that, he had to clean everything up, okay? And clean everything up and close up shop. By the time we get out, it's midnight, midnight. We go home and sometimes he'll want to go out. He'll want to just like lay back and maybe shoot some pool at a local spot and, and then go home, you know, and uh, you know, or, or maybe like we would go uh, to the local beach there and just go fishing right off the shore real quick, um, you know, at some spots and just so he could spend some time with me. Mm-hmm. And then repeat. 530 hits repeat <laughs> yeah. every day for over 10 years. Way longer than that. Every single day without fail, except for Thanksgiving. That's the only time he shut down was Thanksgiving. Not even Chinese New Year? <laughs> he, because where he was wasn't yeah. in a Chinese area. Oh. It wasn't in a Chinese area. It was in a, a mixed community of white and black mm. and Filipino. I, I think that was the majority of uh, the people that I would see coming in. Yeah. It was out of state. It's not in New York. So I was, I was like, wow. It was just crazy to see and and i would get tired and i wasn't even doing a fraction of what he was doing but there was at least i can retreat back and and take a nap you know in in the little office he had and then or i could you know i made a lot of friends locally and we would just get on our bikes and just ride to the nearest movie theater or go down to the beach and hang out you know and i go back and my dad was just still working it was just crazy to see that and um and he goes, yeah, if you want to come into the restaurant business, you know, you know and I was just like, no, nah, I'm good. He goes, you sure? You, you, you said it. You said it when you first got it. I was like, like no, I'm good. Because I saw all this money coming into the cash register, all the food. I was like, man, I get to eat as much as I want and look at all this. And, you know, when you're a kid, that's a lot of money. And you see, it's, and it's one thing, it's not a lot of money if you look at your bank account now. But if you see physical cash, yeah. you know, it means a lot more when you can actually see physical and cash touch it. Yeah, and touch, touch it, it yeah. and count it. You know, so I started going, wow, I, you know, this may be a good business opportunity. You, you didn't see the bills. <laughs> yeah. You didn't see expenses. I mean, this, this might be a controversial, I guess, question. But do you think because, our, you know, our parents or grandparents, they were pursuing the American dream. And they were uh, pursuing the American dream for their kids to not work so hard. And that was pretty much contributed to the, you know, the downturn of Chinatown. People, because... You know, you have people who are going to college, they're, they, 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 they're working corporate jobs or they're, they're working, you know, in, in you know, me, I guess, um, mainstream jobs uh, and careers that they leave. And they leave the businesses, they leave, uh, you know, leave and live somewhere else. You know, do you think that have, have you know, has contributed to the down, decline? Um, I think it's also important to note that Chinatown started because as like as a survival mechanism right because mm-hmm. we were discriminated against in the rest of society so chinese people had to band together to start up their own communities right set up these chinatowns because they weren't welcomed in the rest of the city so i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that you know second third generation chinese americans are getting more assimilated to american society i think again it just comes down to balance right yeah actually you might see this in like other immigrant groups too, like the Italians, for example, right? They, I think it all comes down when you're like maybe second and third generation where you have like time to think, where like what does like, you know, my identity mean, right? Like what does it mean to be Chinese? What does it mean to be American, right? So going back, it's like, it's not exactly like the decline of Chinatown when I would say, it's just a transition 
I almost want to put it. It's an evolution. Yes, an evolution. It's an ever-growing Chinatown because Chinatown can't stay stagnant too, right? It would not survive. So it's like, how do we grow strategically, you know, with the new generation and with different types of thinking? Like, um, that's why when we talk about like mom and pop shop and like, you know, franchises coming, you got to have like a little bit of both, right? Because you have some that serves the people who are living there, but then we also have to figure out how to adapt to the new. Do you feel that Chinatown is being gentrified? I want to say yes. (laughs) I think it's undeniable that definitely gentrification is the reality. Um, But again, it's like, what can we do, um, you know? We do want to preserve stuff, right? We want to preserve like what's important, like history, landmarks, uh, and you know, history is like getting created every single day. Um, I don't know, like gentrification, like is definitely happening. It's just like how do we balance it where it's comfortable for the people who are slower to adapt to. Right. I think that it's also nice that there are new business coming in Chinatown. For example, like we see the new Lantern Candle Lab in Chinatown, right, which is like a, a candle making workshop and You and Me Books, right, which is a bookstore started by Asian Americans. So these weren't necessarily businesses that are historical, but um, it's nice that Chinatown has provided space for these second, third generation Chinese Americans to come here and find a space for them. Yeah, so like an evolution, not not decline. <laughs> Chinatown's here to stay. So you see the that sort of gentrification as a glass half full. Yeah, I would say like half full, because you can't have like one of each, like nothing changing at all. But you can't have like too many change at once, right? Like I think it's a slow transition into like adapting to the. Such an interesting perspective. I, I think a lot of people do fear change, and it seems like you guys. Welcome change with open arms, and you, you think that in order to survive, you do need to adapt. I could not agree more with that notion. You just have to be strategic. I think, like, you can't be like, "Oh, I'm taking away all the mom and pop shops." And what about what about all the people who are living there that like relied on them? That's not fair to them, right? But you right. can't be like, "I'm not changing at all." Then it's just like, well, no one's gonna come, right? right. If Chinatown is built as a tourist destination, then that's gonna be bad too, right? It's like, where is that balance? And you know, like finding that balance is definitely difficult. Uh, yeah, because gentrification sounds like such a bad word, isn't it, it? Even when I said it to you guys, exactly. you guys kind of paused and looked at each other like, oh, <laughs> he went there. <laughs> that is like political. Yeah, but but in in the way you described it, it sounds like it's needed. Um, when you were talking about the evolution part of it, and I think a gentrification, it's it's going to happen no matter what. It's it's going to come, and uh, it's already been here, and it's going to change the landscape of what Chinatown used to be. Of course, my it's interesting when you said evolve. Now, does the mindset of you know the businesses that were here, it has to shift, right? It has to shift from that uh, traditional sense and then have to adapt to what's coming, right? And all the new businesses from Asian Americans who are starting these these new businesses, they have to also have that mindset. How do we preserve while also profiting or how to, you know, making sure that our traditions are kept here? Now, do you, do you see that, like those mindsets? Like, I guess what I'm saying is, do you have these groups of people who, when they open businesses, this is something they come into the business thinking about, like preservation, um, moving forward, evolving Chinatown, not just letting ch- just coming in and just taking from Chinatown. I think most people try to move in to make money, open yeah. up a business. Yeah, that, that, that's that's I what that's I would number think. One. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Right. You come into 
starting a business, you, you want to make profit, you want to make money. But because this is a, a, a specific neighborhood, you know, and, you know, new people are coming in, dude, are they coming in with that mindset of preservation? I think that's very like individualized, right? For example, I brought up you and me books. It was the former site was actually a funeral parlor store. And right now they actually kept like the original signage and the original like shelves. And, you know, they're doing a great thing of like amplifying the voice of the community. So I think that maybe it's something that second, third generation Chinese Americans think more about versus like immigrants are just here to make money and to survive. Mm. Yeah. You also have to make money because then like you have to survive, right? Like, yeah. if not, then you're going to close down. So I think that might be more so in the forefront and then come afterwards. It's like, oh, I'm in here. I'm in Chinatown, right? What can I do? How can I help? Yeah, I think they have to be very strategic with what they want to do with the location that they have. And uh, for the most part, if the community doesn't agree with it and you can't get business from the locals, then where are you going to get it from? Well, tourism. I mean, tourism made major I, I would have to say a majority be careful <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah. well that's just because when i look at it when the pandemic hit a lot of chinese-owned businesses they were hurting yeah. so why were they hurting if locals were their patron patron you know patroning the, the establishments well they're missing the tourists right so from my thinking based on that is that majority of the businesses business comes from tourism yeah. I also think it's because the local residents, a lot of them are elderly and they are scared of going out because fear of the virus and also fear of the anti-Asian hate crime. So actually a lot of them experienced food insecurity during the pandemic because they were, you know, stuck at home um, and not necessarily actually going out and helping out these businesses. All right, let's shift gears here. I want to, I mean, since we have you, I want to take advantages of some uh, Chinese history. Uh, I want to be put up on some knowledge. (laughs) Bring it in. Give 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 me something that that you think uh, that you usually have on tour like a good one where where uh, and I don't know where to go you guys can just do it like I just want to I want to go on a tour take me on a tour yeah is it street history or museum history (laughs) (laughs) Um, just a mini tour what you guys usually it's a combo of both because we do talk about the history of why the Chinese people first came in here, but then we also tie into modern day history, like what has happened during the pandemic, how has the pandemic changed our community, and also the stories behind some of the businesses in the community so that people can actually build that connection with like the business owners as well. What are some of the questions that people on tour ask you guys? Other than what restaurant I should go eat? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's a big one or- or Like after the tour, like where should I go? Where should I take a date? I get that one a lot. Oh, in, in Chinatown? No, um, or, or just in general. Like, my, my, my non-Asian friends. <laughs> I want to take my girl out to somewhere yeah. in Chinatown. Where should I go? So what should I it do after? Hard. We actually have a. There's show. a lot. There's, there's a lot. There's of actually quite places. a few cool spots. That's uh, for for date night. Oh, for date night, yeah. Dude, but it's not there's really chi- like, it's, it's, there's Chinatown, but then it's not China. It's Chinatown, but it's, it's it, there's some like good restaurants, and then you go to like some other uh, low key joints that are really like fun so it's a two-parter you you go to a nice chinese restaurant then you go to you gotta do something like, like a, a restaurant like a rooftop or something you could do a speakeasy you could do a rooftop i mean there's there's a lot of options after you could get bubble tea right. you know <laughs> you could pick your bubble tea joint i've been I, on I, a bubble tea binge i'll admit it like <laughs> oh my I, I on Uber Eats and it it said you're in a top five percent of uh, Patreon. Oh, oh I was like, oh my gosh, wow. I've been overdoing it. Wow. I was like, I didn't even know this message existed. And like, of uh, something, something. Thank you. You're in the top five percent of them, and then we want to give a review and this and that. I was like, holy crap, I'm in the top. Like, they they better give me some points for you know. You get discounts. Rack up some discounts. Right. They gave Check me in. like they gave me one five dollar one. 
so yeah, far. Not bad. But... <laughs> you get one boba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've been on a binge. I don't know why. I've just been like craving it. It's. I guess they make it so good there. Right. I won't shut it out. Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of spots in Chinatown. But what are some of the reoccurring ones that you guys get besides the restaurant thing? I think a lot of them was like clarification on like history, right? Mm-hmm. Because history is like fascinating. It's like they didn't know, right? Uh, no one taught them in school and didn't learn. Wait, about so it. it's it's Asians that's going on these tours? No, well, we have mixed. Okay, we have uh, Asians and non-Asians. Okay, um, and they were like clarifying history. It was like, oh, this is what happened, uh, or they're like fascinated by like a statistics, right? Like I think one that I like to talk about a lot is like after the Chinese um, Exclusion Act was over in 1965. Uh, from 1965, there were a population of 20,000 in Manhattan's Chinatown. 1980, that is like 15 years afterward, um, it went up to 200,000. So it increased tenfold. Wow. Which was like crazy to think about what the Chinese Exclusion Act did and the immigration restriction that happened throughout, you know, that 60 years and 60 plus years, right, afterwards. Um, so that's always fascinating. That's like, do they want a clarification on like, oh, that really happened? Um, that's what I have witnessed uh, more so. On and Chinatown was just one little block at that time, right? Or a couple three of... Three streets. Where did Chinatown start? So it was Mott Street, uh, mm-hmm. Doyle Street, and Pell Street. Before that, it was surrounded by Irish and Italian neighborhoods, right? Yes, that's correct. So, like, the Lower East Side's always been, like, you know, like, the immigration area. It always it started with, like, the Germans first came. And then, you know, the Irish because of the potato famine and the Italians, you know, the Jewish, right? And then, mm-hmm. like, the Hispanics and then, like, the Chinese. It was truly a melting pot. Um, mm-hmm. And then afterwards, it just... So it's becomes Chinatown. And it's there's a lot of very fascinating history, right? Like the first tenement building is on Mott Street. Uh, so that's always very interesting. And obviously, like Columbus Park was built because they want to kind of get rid of the gangs. And they thought like a park would help like beautify Chinatown. So <laughs> and that would get rid of the gang? <laughs> it worked though. Did it really? Yeah. I would think that's where they where you could a great opportunity to meet gang members and get recruited <laughs> so like where columbus right. park was was five points right so there are three streets that like created like five point and it's kind of like an area where you can target uh your opponent and it was a like a really bad area it has a sewage problem right and then i guess like the local government was like okay we need to like build something so they built a park and it was Columbus Park. And eventually, um, you know, now modern day is like you can see young people playing soccer and then like the old grandma. Oh, yeah. It's so nice grandpas. there now. Yeah. It's so nice there. I want to say like whenever like my friends come, I was like, if you really want to know, see like New York as a melting pot, go to Columbus Park. For sure. Because then you get these people working out. All, there's like this section over there next to the basketball courts uh-huh. and you get these guys i don't know if it's still there but when i i used to go there as a ch- as a kid i went to summer camp right on pell street mm-hmm. and then we would go to columbus park a lot and i would see kids playing basketball and then you would have right next to it that little park area where people do pull-ups and Push oh, it wasn't yes. real. It was like a jungle gym for adults. That's where. Oh, sorry. Right. That's where the five points is. <laughs> yes, yes. And then you have the other area. The, the larger portion of the park is, I guess, for kids. Uh-huh. They're just running around, playing tag, and doing all that stuff. And and you would see just a mix of everything. You see tourists there. Then you see the old people eating. And then if you go further down the park, then you see like um, uh, Chinese uh, Chinese collective playing. I guess. 
chess. chess yeah. They would play uh, music. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know one of those. What's it called? Like, it's beautiful when they play it. And, but they were just, and then you have some of the psychic palm readers. <laughs> all right there in the I mean, you see all these fascinating different. And nowadays, now that they have the soccer field there too, now you see like a bunch of people out there, um, summer camp kids. And it's just, I love the way it's changed. It's, it's, it's uh, I mean, especially when, when what was, what was out there? Um, uh, they had this, Get to, what was that? What was that called? The whole rally, the, um, the huge one. Stop Asian hate rally. Yeah, was that what it was called? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it was. It was actually. Uh, I do remember uh, that. We've been, we were so Norman and I've been in so many rallies. Um, yeah, when it was on the peak okay. of like uh, yeah. the Asian hate. And then they, and then to have it there, and then you would still see the same makeup. Mm-hmm. It didn't really change except that nobody was playing soccer because <laughs> took over. It took over that, but it, it's just beautiful. I think Chinatown has its beauty. Um, I, I'd love to see. I'd love to see some of the things stay, and I agree with you with um, that. It does need to evolve to attract more tourism, more foot traffic, um, and I think it will. Or might not. I think it's just you have to figure out like how do you preserve this community in a way. Maybe it's not tourism, right? Like maybe it could be something else. But I think you know it's up to the hands of the business owners and like the lawmakers to kind of like. I don't want to say like dictate. <laughs> it's like as if we don't have a choice, but uh, just the like evolution of what China will be. Number one thing is people need to feel safe. Uh, at the height of Asian hate, you know, there was a lot of food insecurity, especially for the elderly, because they were they were afraid of getting coming out, either catching the virus or getting assaulted. I mean, it's mm. a double whammy there. And then the the businesses were hurting, and because the businesses wasn't getting foot traffic, they had to close early. They opened late and closed early, mm-hmm. and then they had to reduce their staff. And eventually, they couldn't make ends meet because of the cut hours. So they had to look elsewhere. But do you think um, there there is a resurgence now? Uh, people coming back because there have been in the past few months new establishments opening. Like well, you said, yeah, restaurants. Hold on. And Shout out to my man Wilson. <laughs> Wilson. No, he he made a post right. Oh, he's on. Yeah. I saw a few Recent? people send me pictures. Yeah, during uh, I think Christmas. Was it? I mean, this guy had a line mm. from Namwa all the way to the end of the block circling oh, around. I mean, it was incredible. Incredible just to stop by there and eat. Around the block. Like around around Pell. What's Dwyer's his name? Joe, Joe took a picture of that. Oh, okay. uh, who else? I think Wilson posted a picture mm. of that. So I thought, I thought it was incredible to see that it's back. You know, it's funny because when we had Wilson on the show and we we're talking to him, he was just saying how he's adjusting. And he had to do a lot of like... Um, he had pivots. to be real, yeah, a lot of pivots, and he had to get really clever with how he managed his business in order to survive and to be able to keep his team together. And he, I mean, he's a great, I mean, if that's one guy to have a, a leader, because if, if you're working for someone like that, that can put you in the right direction in your team that you can trust and you can just do your job and let him navigate through some of the strategic day to days, I mean, I think they're very lucky to have a team, you know, with that at the head. And he was doing online classes on how mm. to make oh, food yeah, and he would deliver some of these um goodies and goods yeah so he found different ways to different markets outside of chinatown mm-hmm. and now that i guess people are feeling or getting used to what this is right in the new world that we're, we're living in uh during christmas day one of the holidays i mean the line was just ridiculous it was out of, it was insane it was and this was when Omicron was already out, when people knew about Omicron. Am I saying that right? Omicron? <laughs> Omicron. Omicron. 
<laughs> Omicron. Omicron. I'm still working on that. Omicron. I call it Omicron. Omicron. It sounds more dangerous than like Delta. <laughs> it does it. Is. Sounds like a transformer. Yeah, I mean, what what Will mentioned, and you know, there there are several other new restaurants that yeah. you know kind of came back. Well, not came back, but opened up in the community. I think people will always have an appetite for Chinese food. I mean, you know, like Jewish people, they eat Chinese food for Christmas, and you know, Chinese food as as American as apple pie. Right? I mean, it's integral it to really the American is. cuisine. So your answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I believe so. I mean, I hope so. Um, and and uh, it's just uh, you know, one would hope that you know, you know, the 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 place where we grew up, and you know how you guys connected, you know, you know, stay so close to you know your hearts that. Something like this, there will be a place, and it's in the future. Where are you guys looking to do next? We definitely want to get incorporated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we want to get build a solid foundation um, and continue doing the work that we're doing. Which, like on social media, we do promote a lot of like businesses, uh, and we do still want to do the bread and butter of what we do, which is to give tours, right? But we also maybe want to expand and allow virtual tours. Um, maybe like figure out we want to find some volunteers or interns to help with like, you know, giving the tour or social media. So I think generally in 2022 is kind of where we headed and how do we build our platforms? How did your, uh, I guess, business pivot if it wasn't, you know, in-person tours, right? You, you said virtual tours. Yeah, we, so. we've done virtual tours. I'm also right now we're looking to partner with business owners, you know, to promote their stories. So yeah, there's a lot we can do, you know, yeah. in the meantime. And partnerships. I think partnerships take up a lot of our time too, mm-hmm. right? Like if we want to like create like an event, uh, we have to dedicate some time to do that as well. Did you, did you guys like partner up with One for Chinatown as well? We did. Yeah, yeah we did. Shout out to Leland. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shout out to the Monday runs. Yeah. Even though I'm and not part coach, of it anymore. And run Coach Kai. Yes, Coach Kai too. Yeah, so we did like the history run uh, and we donated the, donated the money to Apex. Uh, and that was really fun actually. A lot of people showed up and it was a really fun 5K. Yeah. So is that something like partnerships? Um, I guess the, that that would be kind of the evolution of future, uh, more, more future tours with partner, other other organizations. Yeah, and I think in that way, that's how Chloe and I kind of give back to the community too, right? Like we do give tours and we profit from from it, but we want to give back in ways like we work with local organ- organizations and see like what we can do um, to help. I'm just curious, like with all the partnerships and the organizations that you have locally, um, has there been any conversations where, you know, the, the conversations that led to, you know, preservation of Chinatown, like, has there been any deep conversations like that where, you know, what's the future of Chinatown going to look like with the organizations building or helping evolve it? No, we have particular conversations with like organization that deep of a level. Mm-hmm. I think all these grassroots organizations are trying to help in different ways. And it might be even er- too, kind of early in like where they find a niche, right? Like Welcome to Chinatown does something different. Sun Chinatown does something different. Think Chinatown does something different. Obviously, Mont Street Girls, we specialize in Chinese American history, right? So it's like finding a way where you can help uh, in different ways. Do you see history being made now? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I think with like Stop Asian Hate, obviously, like that will definitely, I feel like, one that go into books. Um, and like Chloe mentioned earlier, is there's a silver lining to, you know, COVID and pandemic. It's like all these grassroots organizations came up. 
And I think that can probably dictate like the future of Chinatown and what that will look like, right? So like you have these maybe like second or third generations coming back, like I want to help out, right? That's where I grew up. Um, and how can I be of help to preserve Chinatown or help Chinatown? Do you see it expanding to other Chinatowns? So we actually um, went on like this uh, wonderful, um, they were like a travel company and they pulled together um, different people from different Chinatowns and we were on like a panel event. Yeah, panel event. And we talked about like, you know, Chinatown, what is it like in San Francisco's Chinatown? What is it like in... Like how did racism impact tourism in each respective Chinatowns? Yeah, and... I think that like every Chinatown has their own distinct problem. Like I mentioned before, right? Boston Chinatown isn't uh, so much like new businesses or franchises coming in. It's more of like commercial real estate. Like how do we, you know, keep the people who can afford to pay, cannot afford to pay rent, pay like, you know, minimum rent. So then like they can still be in the community and just not taken over by, you know, like luxury apartments and stuff like that and i'm sure like san francisco's chinatown faces very different things seattle's chinatown faces really uh, different things la chinatown actually uh, what i've heard from some people is just like it's almost disappearing and you're like you wonder like why almost dis- disappearing like there's not a lot of people going to it they would go to like i guess like the outer areas where maybe like saying uh, gabriel um, but they have a strong k-town though right yeah they, they do actually the very yeah. Strong and thriving. Yeah. yeah so i think it's just like different area has different their own distinct problems why do you think that is like where the with the chinatowns appears to be i guess not that lively there uh, I almost think it's just like geographically, right? Like if you think about like Manhattan, Chinatown, it's like mm-hmm. very like accessible, you know, like a lot of people come and hang out, right? And I think maybe in California, you have to drive, right? Like, do I want to go to Chinatown or do I want to go somewhere else? And but you have to drive to the K-Town there, <laughs> right? And K-Town's doing true. just fine. Uh-huh. That right. I, w- I am not sure. I, would, I may have to do some research and look yeah, into it. When I move to any new neighborhood, it's not just that, but I, I look for my staples. Like, where's my, <laughs> my favorite pizza restaurant? Yeah. You know, my <laughs> Japanese. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big pizza head, right? And, and what's, what, what, I, gotta, I need my go-to Chinese spot, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I'm just, when I hear my friends talk that, that live out there, it's just, it's none of that, you know? And I've, yeah, and like, and they told me the food is different too. Yeah, I almost want to think like there is a lot of Chinese people in San Francisco, right? It's mm-hmm. like the, San Francisco is the first Chinatown. I so, love their Chinatown, right? Yeah. And I don't know what the I guess like history with in LA. Maybe the Koreans dominated, so then like their that could, could that, Korea town that might could be more sense. yeah you know populated, right? <laughs> Actually, when I lived in Utah at one point, right, I went to the Chinatown, and it was just one mall with the Chinatown gate. I was like, this is so sad. It was a mall? The whole Chinatown was a mall? It was just a supermarket. I was like, okay, this is all good. So, like, there, but there, it's because there were no, like, barely any Chinese people there. So, it looked like if, if there was an attempt was, was visual, that's yeah. what it would look like. There was an attempt for... Maybe it's the people that makes I think it is the people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like Manhattan's Chinatown has a lot of people, a lot of grassroots organizations that want to help, which is amazing. But not all Chinatown have that resource. I want to know why different Chinatown foods taste different. That is okay. You know what I mean? Like they all have this signature like grease Mm -hmm. or this signature just taste. and, And I, as much as I love New York and where I'm from, Toronto's Chinatown mm. is 
next level. I don't know why, but when I was there and I, I was like, no matter where I went, the food was just, it tasted really good. Like I just mean, cleaner think, and higher quality. I think it's a demographic that's different because mm-hmm. Manhattan Chinatown is a working class community. Like a quarter of the people live below the poverty line, whereas Toronto's Chinatown, obviously it's like more affluent people move there. So they're catering to the locals' tastes, right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I think that's why. Yeah, I think uh, I spoke to someone that says Toronto is a lot of people from Hong Kong. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like the wealthier. So, yeah, wealthier. They actually, they actually wanted to that live in Toronto. That goes Vancouver too, right? Yeah, Vancouver, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, so in the older Chinatowns, more immigrants that come mm-hmm. in. It feels like here, it has that New York vibe. Like, um, like it's just, when I order my food and it takes like two minutes and I'm out, I'm like, what? Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> two minutes, damn, really, that, I'll get scared. Okay. It's really uncomfortable how fast they make my food sometimes. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's, like, and, I, and I love it. I hate, I don't, li- don't want to wait a long time, but sometimes if it's too fast, I'm just like, wait, hold on, man. I just, I literally just ordered this. Like, you had it just sitting there. Like, that was, re- I have to double check something. Like, wait, is this, is this what I ordered? I, I look in, I open, I'm like, this is what I ordered. And then the steam coming out of it. I was like, how y'all do that? Your walk must be like on 1000. Like, what is? I, I, I think so. I mean, those walks are super hot. Yeah. yeah. It's it's next level how fast and, and efficient they are here. It's that New York and a mix with the with the Chinese productivity level is just out of this world. Like it's just super fast service. So all right, anyway. Um you got anything else? Well, I just wanna thank you for coming in. I mean, you guys are doing some great things for the community and you know, continue telling our stories. Yeah, thank you yeah. for having us. It was well, a lot thank of fun. you so much. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything you guys wanna share? Any last Thing you want to get off and follow us on Instagram. Yeah, social media on Instagram. How do they do that? Uh, go on Instagram. Follow. Which what's your IG? What's your website? So our IG is Mott Street Girls. Got it. Mott Street Girls. Do you guys have a website or anything? Or we are in the process of working on it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's just the two of us. So I feel like sometimes it could be a little difficult because you know we do work full time jobs. So like managing that. Oh, and and how do people find out about the events that you hold, like the tours and everything like that? Um, they're usually through our Instagram page. Okay, well, okay. Mm-hmm. So your one your your one stop shop is Instagram. Yes, yeah. for now. How, how do I do again? I I, I go on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let like, me take notes. Hey, what's <laughs> what's Instagram? Instagram. Uh huh. I'm not that old. Come on. Like. <laughs> well, follow us on Mott Street Girls. Follow you. You know what? I am inactive on social media, so that that, that is one thing I'll give you. I feel like I'm not that active. Yes. It's because we're too active on Mott Street Girls yeah. to be active on. Our you guys, you guys, like I slid on the DMs. You guys responded like super quick. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you for putting up us and sharing some of the history. Lucky Thank boys you. out. Lucky boys podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the rest of our episodes.